0: Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, explore human creativity and invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, a vital ingredient in the solutions to all of our problems. So often misunderstood. Little by little, I'm building an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by founding sponsor and B Corp, Illustration X. Take a look at their stunning range of illustrators and animators now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, it's by Dirty Freud, who you can listen to on Spotify and all good music streaming services. Today I am joined by multidisciplinary artist and designer, Sarah Boris. Sarah has been working independently as an artist and designer since 2015 in her own studio practice. But before then, she worked at the Barbican in London, Fiden, a major book publisher, and many other projects independently. We're going to get into what that trajectory looks like, her roots, her current creativity, and how she manages her own independent practice. Staying afloat financially, staying inspired creatively and producing that beautiful activist work. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Ben Talon. I am your host. This is the Creative Condition. Episode two hundred and eight. Two hundred and eight. When did that happen? <laughs> you wouldn't think so with the listenership. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um no, this is a joking aside, this is a big year for the show. I am um it's make or break in a lot of ways because this is the year that the book, The Creative Condition, is going to come out March 28th. It's being published by my own label, & Press. Um, I'm very proud of it as a body of work. And finally, I have some brand consistency, some visual identity across the show, some direction and a real sense of what um, The Creative Condition means to me, what it looks like. So it is about time that I worked on those listeners. It's a decent little listenership. It's a very dedicated and passionate one, which I'm eternally grateful for, but it deserves more because when you've got people like Sarah Boris on the show, routinely inspiring, inspiring people, you sort of have to, you have to match that up, but it does take time. It does take patience. Like anything, there's a lot of competition out there, you know, in the podcast world now, so... It is a real mission this year. I want to see a real significant jump. I'm going to drive it. I already have been doing. You might have heard from your messages on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm getting out there and banging the drum. I'm going to make this show what it deserves to be, um, which is going to be a real outpost of elevating creativity um, and helping people to understand and embrace it, which is exactly what the Creative Condition book is. So there you have it. That's my little mission statement for the top of the show. I hope you're well. I hope things are good for you. I hope you are staying sane and happy in the face of all those 24-hour news cycles and the things we have to manage in today's world. Big thank you to the founding supporter and the ongoing sponsor of the show, Illustration X. You can check out their global range of illustration and animation portfolios right now at illustrationx.com. Um, I am also looking out for more sponsors you know, more partners for the show. So get in touch. If you've got a brand, if you've got an agency that will benefit from being a part of the creative condition. It's all pure. No one's steering the content other than me. So it's kind of anything goes. You know, I like to think that this show is a little bit at times, we're getting some deep talking, you know, deep topics. We can cover whatever. Um, so get in touch, say hello. I'd love to partner up with, uh, relevant brands and agencies and people who are also trying to champion the cause of creativity and artistic expression in our societies. Um, Sarah Boris coming up today. Really excited about this. Um, so quickly, actually, before I move on to Sarah, did you enjoy the, um, creative checklist? Oh, yeah, I loved putting that together. That was fun. I enjoy the list-based episodes, as I mentioned. Tremendous feedback, by the way. Thank you for that. Uh, and, 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 you know, contrary to what I said at the top of the show, the numbers have been going up this year. Been a big improvement. I'm really happy about that. And I think it's starting to show now. Gone weekly. Consistent release time, 5am every Wednesday, GMT. You know, consistent look across book and podcast. It's all starting to marry up. It's all starting to make sense. I'm getting there, people. <laughs> and thank you for the reviews. There's been an increase in that too. That really helps also. If you haven't done it already, please take the time to go and give me a little, you know, hopefully a five-star rating. You might not think so. Four stars, fine. <laughs> reviews are also welcome. Subscriptions, share with a friend. It really helps. Um, mm, where was I? Yes, the tips episode. So part two is going to be coming up. Uh, I walked into a very pleasantly busy January in terms of my freelance illustration career. So I apologize that it's not part two this week, but it means that you're getting Sarah Boris ahead of time. Sarah's awesome. She's really cool. I met her at off festival. We were aware of each other through social media. We were, you know, you know how it goes. We all know each other in the industry, don't we? Through our social platforms, but I met her properly at off festival where she was also speaking last year at the 2023 festival in Barcelona and her talk was bloody brilliant honestly it was um, that alone left me with a spring in my step coming away from that festival not to mention all the other ones that I saw but she was a real standout and what was lovely and we do touch upon it in this episode is um, I bumped into her We'd, we'd been chatting loads prior to it because we had a lot of overlapping mutual friends who were also at our festival so there was a lot of beers flowing about and you know, we all saw each other at the hotel where the speakers were staying. And I bumped into Sarah on the way to her talk. And the poor lass was a, a bag of nerves on the way there. And she was carrying a print that she was giving away afterwards. And she gave me one, which was really lovely. And um, lo and behold, she got on that stage and... Oh, Because I knew that she was a little bit nervous. I did pick up on a few early notes of nervousness in her voice and what, but you wouldn't have known it unless you knew it and that quickly petered out and she just gave an astounding, inspiring talk about her her art studio, her her art and design studio. So I'm going to read you the bio because it tells you uh, better than what I can tell you about the practice. But let me just say, she just reminded me of all the things that I love about this industry. So, Sarah Boris is a multidisciplinary artist and designer. In 2015, she set up her eponymous art and design studio. Her work has since been exhibited at the Design Museum, London, and acquired by the, ooh, sorry for this bad pronunciation, Stedileik Museum, Amsterdam, FRAC Normandy-Rouen, the New York Centre of Book Arts, and MAK Vienna. Her books include Global Warming Anyone, Le Theatre Graphique and Rainbow, Did you like that French there from the Yorkshireman, by the way? (laughs) Her recent public art commission, the Heart Bench series created in 2021, demonstrates how she deploys a universal symbol into a functional sculpture. Prior to setting up her studio between 2005 and 2015, Sarah worked for some of the UK's leading cultural and publishing institutions, including FIDEN, the Institute of Contemporary Arts, and Barbican. She was judge-president, for dnad and has judged awards internationally she has lectured at uk and european universities and spoken in festivals around the world such as off barcelona off sevilla all flows milton keynes type now 23 paris graphic design festival breeder saint bride's foundation london for 2024 she is preparing two solo exhibitions and her modular artworks and a new book on language she is uh, an absolute dynamo I love people like this. She reminds me very much of Carrie Lemon, who I mentioned in this conversation. If you didn't hear the episode with Carrie Lemon, I think it's episode 46. Wow, I mean my word. She's one of my um, bigger inspirations in her approach to winning work as a creative professional. But well, that is enough for me. I think that gives you a taste of what's coming up. We're going to cover a lot of things, including Sarah's background, which she's never previously talked about. Very exciting. Great to get that one um so thank you for all the recent support like I say things are on the up I want to keep raising my listenership so please do support by reviewing and subscribing but just telling people and getting it out there and sharing the episodes and you know if you like something about a show do come and tell me if you don't like something that's fine too you can come and tell me you can dm me you can uh, tweet me or whatever publicly on linkedin linkedin is the best place to get me these days actually followed by instagram and uh, or hello at bentallen.com if you want to be in touch So there you have it. Here is my conversation with the lovely, brilliant, inspiring, talented Sarah Boris.
1: Well, so I have two sisters um, and none of of them are working in the creative fields. One is a master's, but she also looks after uh, children. And uh, the other one works in communication. uh, And she used to live in Kiev. Um, So I guess we're all living in different countries, which is interesting. And... um, I I grew up, actually, I was born in London and then I was in kindergarten in the US until I was six years old. And then my parents moved uh, back to France. They're both French. and uh, I grew up in France until I moved to the UK. Um, and so, I guess what's interesting for me with that is that, so my mother tongue is French, I guess you can tell from the accent, (laughs) which I can't get rid of. Um, And my memory is mainly visual, it's not like auditive, Um, but I, it it meant that for me, there's not one place that I would call home, Um, and although, so, and my, my, you know, I have, I have multiple nationalities. So it also sort of blurred the sense of identity, um, which I can carry and which probably also makes me ha- has made me look at things quite differently in terms of, you know, freedom of movement, which I find super important, and the notion of borders and even the idea of nationality, which I find obsolete. The only nationality we need is human. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yep. so I, I think
0: I think the world will be in a better place if we took that approach
1: yeah and uh and i and so the, so yeah so it was quite and i think obviously the kindergarten in the us um you know it's like um, i have fun memories of that because um it's really heavy on the arts and crafts over there uh, obviously i can compare it with another country because i wasn't in kindergarten in another country but i think that made me really fond of like working with paints and lots of materials and glitter <laughs>
0: mm.
1: um, and uh, for some time we were living across a candy shop <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well I like candy <laughs> um, obviously less than before but I still have a sweet tooth and but it just meant that I would go to the candy shop I could escape and run across the street and go into this and it really looked like in my memory, it really felt like this little Hans and Gretel house with loads of candy on it. And the woman running it, Ada, um, was really old. Well, she seemed really old to me at the time, but I was only like five or six. And I would just go in there and spend hours looking at all the candy wrappers. And until now, I didn't realize maybe that's had a huge impact on like how colorful my work is maybe at the moment, or it's, I think all these things like seep back into the work at some stages of our lives and um, so that, i think there's a bit of a pop art sense as well which has come maybe from this very like right very imaginative rappers um so yeah and, I, and, and then obviously there's the language thing where you know you you start learning words and how to identify words in english uh, but you're speaking in another language at home mm. um, and then moving back to France, it was quite tricky um, the first years because um, I I didn't integrate so well in the school because you're an outsider when you arrive and everyone's been in, in kindergarten together. And then you arrive when everyone's already started learning to read in another language. So I think that's always made me quite curious about language and about these two languages I speak um, and that I feel I'm always constantly still discovering and trying to master in one way or another, whether it's visual or linguistically or literally or.
0: Mm, There's there's two things I want to pick up on that that I found really interesting. (laughs) One, the sweet shop is beautiful. I love love that. And (laughs) and I'm a big believer in that, in the kind of absorption of our early, early, early environments. This is why I always ask about childhood because I just find it, I haven't ever interviewed a guest where there hasn't been a a thread that I've noticed from those questions, the answers to those questions. And um, I had one guest on called Kingsley Nebecci, who's a a brilliant artist, and he grew up in Italy, and he moved to London when he was 13, I think, and his dad was an architect, Um, and there's this duality, there's this thing, so the the architecture kind of, the, the patterns and the styles and the line work within the architecture very much comes into Kingsley's drawing style now. And also his he said his mum would do these very elaborate phone doodles and then just throw them away and he'd keep them. <laughs> and and again they they kind of re as these tribal patterns in some of the character oh, wow. that he does now. And I I love those stories. I think they're incredible because it's not even a conscious decision. I think it's something that's in there and you absorb it and it and it returns. And I, you know, that's the ultimately creativity, there's a big part of it that that comes around that way.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, also what I think is interesting is you it takes a long time to identify those things. Like it's part of a long process in the journey and you don't necessarily, like for example, this thing with, you know, like the pop art side and the language and all that is really like clarified itself in my work in the last couple of years as opposed to being immediate in my work. Um, And I think also that's part of each one's trajectory, but I feel like I'm still finding my visual language and identity. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people it's much more immediate.
0: Um, Yeah. And I think, I, I think to, to, to respond to that, I think that sometimes I think it's beneficial not to consciously become aware of that, you know, that you could, that, that's a whole debate we could have, but I think that sometimes it's beautiful that it just emerges and it comes very instinctively, you know, whereas yeah. almost to become aware sometimes might stultify that process. And you're absolutely right. We're all on these different timelines and, we don't really have control over that. It's our life experience, you know. Certain things down the road will activate something that was always there. Yeah. You know, and the other thing, um, I wanted to ask. So you know that whole that whole idea of going to a new school and and it, it's it fascinates me. And that kind of early change in life, did that give you any kind of resilience? Was was has that? Did that fact did that bring you any kind of strength from having to kind of you know reacclimatize?
1: yeah um it's not something i talk a lot about but i was really bullied when i the first year i came back and i had these big glasses (laughs) which is not something i usually mention either i don't i don't show any photos in talks i could maybe next year i feel like i should bring in some new stuff in the talks but it's um i think that makes you definitely resilient in some form again like it's it's hard to really explain how, but I think it happens actually also to a lot of kids, sadly. Um, And actually, yeah, I changed schools after a year. Um, So so I think that, yeah, that definitely builds a sense of, like, you know, how to, I wouldn't say defend yourself, because I wasn't some kind of, like, you know, very strong kid, like. Mm. (laughs) But... But I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think also we minimize how we can shape someone. Um, so I wouldn't say like I carry trauma, but I think it has maybe made me a little bit sometimes introverted in some social situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not like a natural like extrovert. I can be sociable, but I can also be quite introverted, and I think maybe that also contributed to that aspect and i and i think maybe also that sort of pushed me even more in sort of the visual field where you know like my comfort zone was making work and painting and you know like doing things just in a sort of natural sort of escapism way
0: yeah yeah and and that's the thing isn't it you know no it, it's never good to go through that kind of experience mm-hmm. but like any adversity in life there are sometimes silver linings there are things that we take from that that we might not ever realize at the time you know inner strength or resilience and you know and even just that kind of process of entering new environments and and changing and adapting to things i think that a small measure of that i don't know if change is the right word but in in our lives that kind of adversity is it does create a kind of a work ethic almost i think there's a yeah. i don't i don't know if i have it right because i'm only observing you and your work from the outside looking in and i don't know you particularly well but you give off a strength there's certainly there's a there's an aura within you and your work and your practice and your brand that i find very admirable and, and inspiring actually um and so i you know i can't possibly know the roots of that but i just find these early experiences really interesting and think that they certainly play a part
1: yeah yeah i think you're right yeah. Um, it's the first time I talk about it so <laughs> it feels like this 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 podcast session
0: is going to be very therapeutical. Stereoty- <laughs> I love these kind of chats. this is I mean I was actually just bef- you know in for the listener like so we were we had a time slot and it changed for this podcast. but in that time slot I I was planning for another episode and I was writing about the sh- are, you, are you aware of the shadow self, the concept of the shadow?
1: i know so it's kind of it's
0: it's it's been at one with the dark parts of ourselves or the parts that we might might hide so maybe i'm thinking now embracing
1: them you with the
0: glasses (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) me with the glasses wait wait glasses with tape on them
0: (laughs) really wow yeah Yeah.
1: it was really like you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) but there's um i came across it watching the documentary stux which is by Jonah Hill it's about his psychotherapist and they talk about the shadow self and and Jonah talks about um you know being quite an erratic broken character in his early acting career and how it took time to be at one with his kind of teenage very overweight self and how he was very ashamed of that that version of himself and part of this process that he had with his therapist was to kind of to welcome that former version of himself into his life now and be more proud of that and embrace that as a kind of healing process. I just found it very interesting. And um, so it got me, he he, he physically brought out a cardboard cutout of that version of himself, you know, (laughs) and and it got me, got me thinking about, you know, which version of myself might I hide away now or be a bit. to be honest, there isn't really any version. I've been quite fortunate (laughs) in having a lot of friends who've enabled me to be very open and very you know happy with all the flaws but um it would certainly be the kind of flame shirt wearing earring wearing 17 year old (laughs) self i think but
1: i want to see the flame shirt.
0: i'll see if i can find a picture actually i've got a really good one from a a paris college trip when i was 17 it's shocking
1: that's so cool oh yeah i want to see that
0: (laughs) (laughs) so in terms of um you know your artistry like was this something in the family was it encouraged supported
1: um, so that's another good question. um, so actually, um, it was quite divisive, um so, um, I think uh, my mother really encouraged me to to pursue that path. and I think my father was a little bit more skeptical because he didn't really see how I would be making a living from it. um, but I think that's definitely one thing is that I was quite stubborn and I really wanted to go and study art Um, and I guess also I'm quite lucky because I did a a foundation and a BA in France Um, and lucky in the sense that the education system over there is um, you know quite different Um, and you don't have uh, the fees that you might encounter in places like the UK or the US Um, and I think it's very you know it's a, a, a huge privilege to be able to be in that kind of education format. And, um, and so one thing that happened is that I applied uh, to those schools because it's through um, your, um, you know, you have to go f- through a test. So you have like a, a drawing test and you have a written test um, and you're sit, sat in this massive room. It's a bit like A-levels and you're like 200 drawing away and they maybe take about 50 in each school. Um, And then they have a couple of days of these tests where they... um, And actually, I remember the test was on the day of my uh, great-grandmother's funeral. Um, And I can't remember what order it was in, but I think I went to the funeral in the morning and the test was in the afternoon. And I don't want to say that, like, side events in my life make me more emotional or, um, let's say, uh, outward in my creative output, but uh, I was very emotional that day, and I really went full on in the test. It was like sort of a, a, like a, you know, quite healing also in a way. Um, and 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 then there's a text, um, so you have to respond to a text in the test, and it was a text by George Perec on um, a species species of spaces. I'm going to say it in French because I read it in French so it's quite hard to like I'm like do I have the right translation in English but uh, it's and then I carried that book with me also for ages like the book became a companion so I think it was like a really like transformative moment and from the moment I got in the school I think that sort of you know because you already go through a first massive hurdle it's quite a selective process and it's what you output on the on the spot on that day, um, which counts. And and so I think that sort of maybe reassured them a little bit, and then and then after that I went on to study design and then moved to London, where I did a math degree um at London College of Printing, now called London College of Communication, part of University of the Arts. And I never had a specific plan, like I'm gonna stay in. London, or I'm gonna move back to France, or like go to the US, or whatever. And and it things just happened like that, and and I think, and I when I found my first job, it was in the UK. I was searching in France and in the UK for for a job, and and from that moment, you know, I think they were reassured. So it wasn't like, but they, yeah, there were there was no one in the family doing. Um, art or design. And I guess the closest again, because you dig into your past and sort of try to draw parallels or connections with things. But my grandfather, uh, as a hobby was doing bookbinding. And um, it's not something I, you know, particularly looked into until until he actually passed away. And he had this massive toolbox with a lot of um, bookbinding tools. And 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 so the family was like would you like to have this and i started using some of the tools a lot especially like some of the bending tools um which are really convenient if you want to make like little mock-ups and dummies uh-huh. and and uh, and he also did like quite a few uh, book binding pieces using the technique of marquetry and um, and if i try to connect the dots I'm, I'm sure this had an influence and then he also had this book um of uh, patterns for end papers which were all patterns by william morris Mm -hmm. and you know i think it's like little subliminal things that connect you back because then that connected me also to the uk and and then i found out a lot more about william morris and like amazing values he had and so i feel i feel like it's there's nothing direct but it's still
0: yeah elements you know? it's really interesting to me and i th- i i hear it termed many different things some people refer it to the universe or or you know i heard one friend call it invisible hands the the kind of feeling next- uh, the feeling that you know you're being helped along when you're on the right path or or you know you encounter something that's good and i've had that over the last 2 years in writing this book i've had this wonderful at times kind of mind-bending serendipity you know like just people coming into my life by complete chance and circumstance who will then open another door and then this person does that. And it's just been this constant flow of that. And I I think that's amazing, the kind of transgenerational link. I think there's just, I really think there's something there too. And I think that's beautiful. It's a lovely story on both counts, on the test (laughs) and also there, the bookbinding. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. I I don't always have the words for it, but when you feel it, that's all you need to know, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think also it makes it a bit more emotional and that's how you start owning a little bit more to your journey and maybe like you were saying the some of the shadow sides where you're trying to mm-hmm. search for these things or trying to be more confident about you know various things or fight your imposter syndrome or yeah
0: absolutely <laughs> i think sometimes people look at all that stuff and think it's all you know whatever they you know the bollocks <laughs> and um, <laughs> but no it's it, i think if you lend yourself to it and observe it it's, it's all real and uh, you know like my, I never met my grandfather on my dad's side. He, he, he drank quite a bit and he died quite young before I was born. But this, even just, I've never even seen a picture because they were quite a poor family and they never had cameras back in the, whenever it was, well, 60s, I think. Um, but the stories, he was quite a character, you know, Like he spent a lot of his days in the pub, but was full of <clears> anecdotes <throat> and stories and, and wisecracks and that's certainly a part of me and comes across in my storytelling in my work and you know I've never met the guy but it's whether it's passed down through my dad whether it's just something genetic I I don't know and really I don't care because it's wonderful whatever it is you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, I think it's and I love the idea of the invisible hands I find that really beautiful but I really believe also in those universe signs, or even you know like how we met in Barcelona um because just for context we met off in Barcelona even though we knew of each other online before um and and I think those connections are really also super meaningful in those moments where you know we sort of put ourselves out there mm-hmm. but then you meet incredible people in those moments and I think it does create like long-lasting connections and I believe that also is quite a bit of the sign of
0: the universe. <laughs> I, I think so. And, I, and I'm, I, as, a, as a highly sensitive person myself, I'm well aware that our industry is full of sensitive people because that's what makes us observant and good at our jobs and caring enough to, to persevere and do this. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that can also be challenging, particularly to introverted people in terms of going to big events where there's lots of people. But I always encourage it because we are social creatures and I think that there is something beautiful about that coming together of, you know, right. with shared passions, whether it's in education, whether it's in industry or just leisure, I, whenever I push myself to do that, it always pays off in some way, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, even,
0: I agree. Even if it's just a great conversation, but yeah, in terms of these yeah. kind of link ups, there's just something very lasting and very um permanent yeah. about that, the in person thing,
1: you know? Yeah, it's agree.
0: Yeah. It's funny because when you said that, you know, you said about because obviously you got up on stage, you gave this amazing talk, but I, I remember seeing you on the way there and you gave me one of your prints and you were quite nervous, you know. And I, I, and actually, I, I, you weren't the only one. I met like Graham McGowan. He was a nervous wreck beforehand. And, the, and so many people who gave these incredible talks. And I guess that speaks to the need to push ourselves towards discomfort. And I know that's another cliche, but it is very real too.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I was thinking, so I never do resolutions. And this year, exceptionally, I was like, I have these ideas so they they are a form of resolution and i've been putting off a lot of stuff so it's like it's the time to do it and uh one of them was get out of my comfort zone more Mm -hmm. and on the other hand also stay in my comfort zone more you know like and i feel like i need to do both (laughs) because i'm pushing myself a lot out of my comfort zone but i also need to stay a bit more in it to be Mm -hmm. like you know to, to relax as well mainly and rest but I, I felt that was like an interesting you know duality of like the two and uh, and uh, but I do feel like especially with well I guess you have the same but with our really independent practices like for me those social moments are crucial um, because it's a moment where you share where you reflect where you definitely like learn new new skills where after the talk like I'm processing a lot of stuff where I'm like I need to do this I want to do this I want to add this to my journey to my discourse to I want to change that you know like it's really like helpful and constructive I find like I'm, I'm quite a big believer in self like being quite self-critical <laughs> um but yeah I get really nervous before and um and it never seems to get easier but I always like you say I always think it's really invaluable to do and like And for me, again, like all the people I've met there, it's been like really important and really, and like some people, you know, become friends, some people become angel guardians. Um, It's There's a lot of different relationships that are born from those moments. And it's really, I think it's so important when you're not in a big office and you don't have loads of colleagues and because you kind of become my colleagues. And I really, I really value that. And I really Need that, like I also recognize that I need that, and that I'm not like a sort of. Some people work solo and they like to stay solo a lot, and that's not necessarily for me. I'm sort of introverted, still social beast.
0: (laughs) I'm the I'm the same. I'm really sensitive, but I'm not introverted. I'm a people person, and but I also like you said. It's it's always this is what I find more and more. It's always the yin and the yang. And I think that we well, sometimes we tend to go right now, it's going to be this. And it's going to, like you said, discomfort. But if you only do that quite quickly, it's like, no, <laughs> no, you have to have the balance always. And, you know, I'm sometimes I'm on some days I'm at my most happy when I'm sat at my desk. I've got some like nerdy video game music on and I'm just in my own world. Other days I feel really lonely in my studio and I need, and, you know, then I'm messaging going, is anyone around for a pint later? <laughs> like, and it's, I
1: did the same exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like dancing in the studio. I'm like, oh my god, this is so great! Like no one on the phone bothering me. because <laughs> I also worked for ten years in open spaces, so <laughs> that's yeah. like you savor those moments alone. But then you're like the next day, you're like, are you free for lunch? Are you free for drink? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to come to the park with me? Do you want to come to this opening? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's so true, and uh, and I think it, I, I think it's really important to all within within kind of the creative practice. It's really important to always remain, like pay attention and always be attuned to even day to day what the needs are, because the perfect work environment on one day will be the opposite of the next. You know, yeah. it's like I've done some of my best work on like the megabus with a scanner on the seat next to me. <laughs> and and other times That's amazing. I, yeah, I'm mean like with like my now wife Laura, I was dating her when she was in London and I was in Manchester and I wasn't particularly well off. So I had to get the megabus down and you know, editorial clients. <laughs> tight deadlines it would be like i'd have to be making do and sometimes just one seat if somebody was sat next to me i had like my scanner and macbook piled up on my knee and they're kind of looking at it <laughs> thinking, what's this guy doing <laughs> that's uh, amazing yeah I mean... and sometimes that works like i love the hustle of you know like cafe spaces and open shared studios but the next day i might just want the quiet and the music and everything else so i think it's like to get optimum creativity i think it's good to to be sympathetic to that within the, within the parameters like deadlines and everything else, you know?
1: I agree.
0: Yeah. So in terms of your professional steps then, so coming out of education, I know you worked, was it Barbican first?
1: Yeah, Barbican. Well, there were a few like other experiences before, which I've like sort of taken out of the narrative, (laughs) but which actually really helped as well. But like I worked in a, in a branch of Unilever for a bit uh, before the Barbican. Um, and it helped me get more professional work into the portfolio because my my portfolio coming out of uni was super experimental, and it had nothing, no graphic design. <laughs> You'd think there would be coming out of a typography uh, studies uh, design course, but um, but I, I also always had that side where you know, it was, it was just like, and the MA really enabled me to experiment as long as it was a response the brief, it didn't have to be in a specific field. So I did like photography, installation, and then I was applying to graphic design jobs and they were like, what is this, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) And they were like, I had one book on the body, for example, which like quite sexy pictures to be honest. (laughs) And it's like a massive, like A3 plus size book, hand bound with like a really leather, red leather cover. And I just turned up in interviews with this book and they were like wanting me to design like flyers and newsletters, you know. And they're like, uh, you know, and I'm showing like really like beautiful body parts. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it was I think also it's interesting because I think now it's very different because there's so much more tools as well and people don't really come out with such a disjointed portfolio in terms of the field they study in yeah um and and then so so i had to go through a couple of experiences before to reshape my portfolio to kind of look like look i can design an a4 newsletter and i can design an a5 flyer oh and i can make a logo or something uh (laughs) so i wasn't your typical like oh my gosh she's an amazing graphic designer like let's get her off in that one of one of those lush design studios in london (laughs) and then yeah I was an outsider in some ways and and then uh with the Barbican um yeah that was a, the first like long-term job um that I went into
0: mm. I I love those stories I I remember um same thing like I, I did I always said my first commission was for when Saturday comes football magazine which it kind of was That was my first like published in the mainstream type of projects however sooner than that and I, I worked. I worked as a recycling officer at Preston City Council after university, a temping job. And how I got that job was, I was sending out a very speculative early portfolio, which makes me think of what you just said. It was full of these weird acrylic like collages and things, and and um, it's so funny looking back. But but I'll, somehow from that, and and I'm talking about like anatomical Frankenstein like, HR Geiger tackle. Um, I got commissioned to do the recycling calendar with like green bin black bin that's so cool and and it, it I mean when I think back to that thing it's a, it's a wonder that the council signed off on it but they did and they paid <laughs> and they and they paid me well uh, and they were that's like amazing. you know something they were like something to get the students recycling basically so they went yeah that's weird <laughs> that's weird enough that's fine and um and then the first one I got it was 80 quid to do this front cover of like a not-for-profit nursing magazine and <laughs> the same, this time it was a design studio and they looked at it and they said I love that they said, "Yeah, this weird stuff's perfect. Like, you know, do that." But, but nursing, and I was like, "All right, okay, cool." So I had this like nurse with just a mouth for a head, <laughs> and these coins falling out of the sky, and like an arm grabbing them. It was so weird. And I remember delivering it, and then about two days later, they got back and went, "Yeah, the, the client hates it, and they've gone a different di- they've gone a different direction." And I sort of thought, "I'm not surprised. Like, did nobody <laughs> did nobody pick up on this and kind of temper it?" It was really, for me, it was bad art direction okay i play my part well, um you know but there you go but it's it's, it's amazing what lessons you learn from these very yeah, weird portfolios so funny. that you emerge it's, with
1: it's also funny because when you make me think with nursing home story <laughs> i had i had one like internship during my studies in france where so I i found an internship in a really random place but the the sort of person who was mentoring me there ended up becoming a friend and we had a really fun time like we ended up partying a lot and doing really weird designs but most of what I had to do in the internship internship were backgrounds for these medical blouses for like nurses and doctors <laughs> <laughs> and you think like you know it's like really like actually when you think back at those really neat weird experiences and like at the beginning I was always like Oh my God, like, why didn't I do an internship in this, like, really cool, you know, like all the design studios you grew up knowing about in Design Week and, like, yeah. creative review. And then, but instead, you went to, like, a really unknown, obscure place, you know, that the name even was weird. And you're, like, doing watercolor backgrounds, <laughs> scanning them in for these, like, medical outfits. And it's, like, super weird, but also <laughs> super fun to remember those. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, they have certainly got value. <laughs> if just the stories, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. So what were? So how did you get into the Barbican?
1: Oh, so so actually, that wasn't like a none of it was smooth. <laughs> the
0: best. Um, never, the best stuff's never smooth.
1: So so again, like I I'm quite stubborn, like I said earlier. And when I become like when I have an idea in mind, I'm like I want to go and work there, like. I will literally stop, start stalking the va- the vacancy page, the job section of the website, like to see if there's anything relevant. So I literally go every two days on the website to see if there was anything relevant. First time around, there was a paid internship. And I was like, great. And so I did, <laughs> I did like a little personalized CD. I put my portfolio on the CD. <laughs> I guess the CD gives away like the sort of time we were still in. <laughs> Like, I don't know if we should explain what a CD is to be built now, but like <laughs> listening to this. But let's say it's the equivalent of what you call a hard drive or a USB stick <laughs> now. <laughs> I think even USB sticks are obsolete. Like I actually turned up to a talk recently. And I was like, I have my USB stick.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. I've done that. Yeah, I've still got one.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and, and anyways, I send this like little CD with a personalized cover. Anyway, I never got a response. And no wonder, I mean, the work was quite, like, bad. But then um, I saw, I kept stalking the vacancy page of the website, and I saw three months later that they were advertising for a junior position. And, I mean, in in a way, what are the odds to get a junior design position when you've not even got a response for the internship? And I don't know what went through my mind, but I just thought, I can't send the the same CD again (laughs) with the same, like, cheesy cover and stuff. So, and obviously they were looking for a junior designer to work in-house with their team and work with the marketing team. And what I did is I went to the gallery um, and uh, I picked up their leaflets. And at the time, I think they had a a really cool exhibition on a British graphic design. It's when the Barbican still exhibited graphic design as some kind of high art. (laughs) And uh, it's been a while, they haven't had any of those if they listen to this, uh, hint, hint. But anyway, and they and there, there was this. They would print these uh, leaflets with a very particular visual identity and they would be on tinted paper stock. And so I just picked one of those up and then I designed my whole um, portfolio and CV using that sort of grid and template. Basically literally just showing that I could understand the visual identity. And then I used the same paper stock and I printed it and sent it. So again, it tells you a bit about the client. We're still sending application.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's and, really good. That, that I mean, that's great. And then again, that's respect for the client. It's it's consideration. It's a detail. They've been ticking a lot of boxes there in the right in the right way.
1: And, and so literally that got me the job. Then I still had an interview and I, I had to do a test. They were getting everyone to do a sort of very informal test, mainly to check that we could switch on the computer and use in design. (laughs) Cause that, that does happen that you get people, you know, who have, who show a great portfolio and then they can't use any of the software. And then when you question them, they're like, oh, I I did this with a couple of people actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so so I was fine also with the test process because I know that's something that's questioned a lot as well in sort of recruitment process in our field. But um, I and I got the job literally. I don't not from my portfolio because I couldn't transform my portfolio drastically in the space of three months, but mm. from that approach to my application, just showing as an in-house designer that I would be able to adapt. Material and they were they they said something like they had received five hundred applications, and and in some ways when I look back I think it's crazy no one else thought about it I mean it's good for me (laughs) because if we had been five hundred doing the same thing (laughs) that wouldn't have worked out so well, Um, and that really kicked off my sort of uh, entry point into working as a designer in the arts, and I think one of the things why I was so specific about the Barbican was that I really liked that they had all art forms under one roof um, and that for me you know with with my sort of art practice in parallel to my design practice working in an art space or a museum or an institution felt like the most logical place to keep learning and nurturing my passion for the arts um, and also witnessing practices in that field while doing a mm. job where I was making a living.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, being immersed in all that, all those things that you might never otherwise have encountered. Yeah, yeah, that's huge.
1: So, for example, you know, so like, I mean, one of the things that that was also really amazing for like a young, you know, graduate in London is um, obviously in that field, the salaries aren't very high, but you have incredible access to everything so you can go to concerts you have access to all London museums uh, and galleries uh, with your staff pass you have you know I could go after work and watch a film or go to a gig so you know I discovered also like music that I had never heard of or uh, musicians pianists uh, classical music that I wouldn't have gone to otherwise or world music or you know like really amazing stuff and I really really like immersed like completely like you say immersed myself for for like nearly three years when, while I was there by discovering a lot of and going you know to these exhibitions and you're literally like a floor down from the gallery and two floors that two floors away from the cinema so you just kind of pop in and be like do you have a spare seat for this and
0: <laughs> yeah what an incredible workplace and and also just makes me yearn for much more of a return to old school, art school in in education, you know, as opposed to kind of segregated disciplines, you know, and don't get me wrong, I understand the need to have graphic design and, you know, the rest of it, but but surely a greater cross-pollination and uh, almost mandatory collaboration would make more sense.
1: I agree with that. And that's really what I'm also like trying to get students that I meet or teach to do more of is to collaborate. You know, like, for example, I was teaching on a course for a year um, in East London and they had next to the design course they had a jewelry course and they had a furniture course a furniture design course and it was like guys collaborate this is the most amazing moment of your life to do this because you have the machinery you have the facilities and you have access to each other which yep. you which you lose after you know
0: Yeah, and only hindsight kind of tells you that I felt the same way and I now preach that to any other students that I encounter I say go and you know, go and even just get the connections for the other designers and the other yeah. departments because that network you will look after each other when you when you've all got no money and you need each other.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because now it's what I want to do the most of, and I'm almost like oh, I want to go back studying. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's you know when I think about the Bauhaus, like I really think that it was such a great model because they had this cross pollination and they had like architecture students mixing with like you know and doing design and textile and doing costumes and and that's where also i really want to take my practice like at the moment you know i'm like so like last year i collaborated with a um a a shaper so it's someone who makes like surfboards and and i and it's just like the funnest things to to collaborate on and you have no idea how complex it is to paint until you're confronted with this very light piece of foam which then becomes quite heavy and you know it's and i felt actually like a student again because i was like. (gasps) painting like so bad I was like so embarrassed because I was like confronted to something I've never worked on and and those moments I'm like this is what it's all about and what makes me excited not to do like the like the same kind of jobs over and over again
0: yeah and, and, and that's an individual consideration isn't it because I'm I'm the same I, I really need variation I realized that quite early on in my career and you know when I started to you know, roam beyond illustration. And, and I started like a music project in Manchester with a, a music writer and collaborating. And, you, you know, it tends to come back to visual communication in some way. But within mm-hmm. that space, I love to test myself and try new things and keep evolving because I I know that I've got a mind that will will get lethargic if I don't keep myself hungry. And, yeah. you know, and it's that same thing. I've always found real magic in that collaborative environment of art school. and And, and so... You know the the picture you've just painted there of the Barbican is just beautiful. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, do do you think that had an influence on your current practice and the variation within it?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's had an influence mainly culturally because so so after the Barbican, I went to the ICA, uh, Institute of Contemporary Arts in London, where I stayed for five years. Um, and because the scale was much smaller than the Barbican, um. You're even closer, so you meet even more the artists you meet you're sitting next to the curators, the marketing team you're all all together really in this space and even like people building the exhibition um furniture or space or like because everyone's in house basically. and um and that I think both of those experiences, and including the third one, which was Fiden, but have had a massive influence on me sort of keeping on learning about culture, art, design, architecture, food, you know, like Fyden was massive for me to learn more about food (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's transformational. And I think the way you cook also when you're making art is really important because it's really like there's gesture, there's color, there's inspiration, there's, um, you know, nourishment, fulfillment, and and I think it's like you say, all these things are like, you know, these invisible hands or visible ones, but that feed us in ways that are, I think, super virtuous and re- like rounded.
0: Yeah, and it's about having the the courage to keep following those indicators, isn't it? As well, I, I yeah. like, like I said, you know, I, I got this this thing with the book, the serendipity that happened there, but all, all the while that's happening and then there's the voice going you need to be earning you know with your illustration you should be marketing to clients and all that stuff and yes in a logical sense I should have definitely my bank account says that I should have but <laughs> but it's too magic to me not to and I have to follow that because yeah. that's why that's why I do this it's why I mm-hmm. wanted to go to art college and everything else and and long term I think it will pay off I will be more sustainable in my practice I will be happier yeah. and therefore I will bring attract the right projects and you have to sort of practice believing that mindset yes
1: (laughs) yeah i totally agree and i had a bit of a moment when i was telling you earlier about this like you know reflection on like the passing of year from 2023 to 2024 and it's like this passage and it's been like i I have been questioning a lot like why have i been doing this and like i've released two books last year and obviously like exactly what you're saying it's like the bank account tells a different story (laughs) to you know the the output but i just have this thing where i'm like i need to do it <laughs> and i want to do it and i you know it's, a, it's again like when i left my full-time job and i was just like i knew i had to do it and it's like and and i was you know like using all my spare time to go screen printing and there's a moment where you just want to go more and not be like conditioned in a certain way or whether it's your time or whether it's you know the space or the people and you just want to be able to do it and so i i've always listened and sometimes i do wonder if i was right <laughs> and you because we again it's like good to question our decisions but you know with the book like i mean i think the book form is one of the most exciting and noble forms and i never thought i would make books um and then it's just again some like a natural thing that's happened uh, and obviously, I started making more books at the ICA and I designed some of their books. And then we did a couple of sort of DIY publishing there with some of the curators. And I did a first flip book, which we printed on a print on demand platform with one curator and just did 10 copies. And and so I felt that in a smaller sort of organization, there was a space to experiment with the, the book form. But yeah, I'm really excited by books, and I keep thinking I have to stop making books because I'm not making a living from them. And but then I think there's something so wonderful also and emotive about the books. And, you know, like I've been making these wordless books. and so, like I really also admire that you've been making this book because it's like such a it's such an investment in time. and it's also like there's something really generous about it, but there's also something really t- consuming <laughs> mm-hmm. because there's a lot of questioning like and you know for example like on the model that you've done where you're doing a kickstarter it's but still you're not paying yourself and you're like you're just funding the production and so there's all all these moments where you're wondering like should I really be doing this and how how am I being supported or how can I how can I support even the book like how can I distribute it how can it have a life you know like not just sit in the boxes and so i keep questioning those things um but it's making sense in some ways <laughs> yeah and like you say like you say it never makes sense straight away i think it makes sense further down the line and it sort of comes together and one of the books that i did last year called rainbow which i still haven't managed to launch in the uk and it's not sold yet in the uk but it was published in korea um in seoul and um Basically, from that book, um, which I actually made during lockdown, and then it just took a while to get out there. And I really wanted a publisher because, again, it's like all these things that I, like a lot of stuff I was thinking I I want the support from a publisher and I want, like, to be, that it goes to other places because I had been doing a bit of stuff publishing before. And I never know if it's the right decision or not, but I'm happy with, you know, all, like, how it went. And, and then a whole series of artworks were born from this book. and so I've been like doing this ma- mammoth 48 um, color pencil drawings. And just that emerging from the book form, I think has been a real trigger for me and like finding also more comfort in, in my artistic practice and, and sort of I'm really excited to show it.
0: It won't always be the right decision either, and I think we yeah. have to find we have to find peace with that, and, and that it's still necessary to go through that process to get to what's next and to learn. So yeah. again, that becomes um, it's a confident I think it's a confidence mindset. You know, like I had um, Kimberly Wilson on the podcast recently, who is a psychologist, and she she's got this brilliant book out about processed food and about what she cuts. She terms it whole body mental health, and it's about looking after. Ourselves as one organism, and not treating the mind and the body as separate. Really interesting stuff. And um, and she gave me the best description I've heard of confidence, which was the brain's ability to predict a positive outcome. And you know, essence. people think of confidence as this innate bravado that that some people have and some people don't. It's not true. It's it's a practice and a momentum thing. So of mm-hmm. course, you know, like I had six quiet months in a row last year, and it was quite testing. And I got back to that. Early mindset in my career of, oh my god, am I ever going to get another commission again? And I, I couldn't feel how that was possible. And then something came in, and suddenly you're moving again. And it, that's what confidence is. It's so that's why you just have to work through sometimes yeah. and keep the faith and draw confidence from previous successes too. You know.
1: Yeah. You know. And I think with the quote you just mentioned, I think there's definitely something also that's linked to optimism, and, and I think, I think one thing that keeps me going is that I, I mean. I have to say, like the last years were testing, but I have, I think, an optimistic mindset by nature. So I, I kind of, you know, I try to believe it's it's harder with the, you know, world events, but I try to believe in sort of, you know, human nature and like the good side will win. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if our politicians believe the same thing, but <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, yeah, there's definitely an optimistic side, which is why we keep doing what we do and why also we take these risks sometimes, because I think we're quite optimistic and we're, we're we believe as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. My 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 baseline is quite optimistic, and the same as you, it's been testing the last few years. You know, I became a twin parent, so I my my defenses are down because I'm tired more than I ever was, and so I've been quite vulnerable. Um, but what I found really good was Steph. Did you did you listen to the episode with Stefan Sagmeister? No, not yet. Yeah. Well, it's oh, nice. about it's about his latest book now is better and it's incredible it was a real lift actually it was um it's a longer it's about long-term thinking and looking back at the whole of human history instead of just the headlines that we're exposed to now in 24-hour news cycles you know so he was looking at things like the amount of democratic countries which used to be one america and is now something like the early 80s and you know so he's looking at this longer-term approach and kind of get some perspective and it's really but the visual I think you'll love it actually with your practices it's it's a physical process he's used he's bought all these original classical paintings and then he's cut into them with these graphic one color shapes and done it all by hand and they're the images in the book and the colored shapes represent the kind of statistics Um, and it's amazing it looks at you know famine and things like that and it goes through a lot of things and he acknowledges yes we have some monsters now like climate crisis and, and different things however when you take a step back and get away from the internet a little bit, you know, it's not a bad time to be alive. You know, it's kind of when compared. Anyway, it's really interesting, and and he talks about being a kind of baseline optimist as well. So you know, there is a thread there which is
1: interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I I'm interviewing Stefan off festival this year. Um, oh yeah. And uh, nice. on the on the Friday, it's kind of a part two almost. It's again about long term thinking. Right. But I'm kind okay. of excited, but also daunted about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure you'll be great. You're really good with questions. But um, you know, actually, also there's a a book I picked up from Rough Trade last year, um, and the title is called "Pessimism is for Lightweights," and uh, and I I really it really helped me at the end of last year. Like just looking at the book cover and just having it at home and just like it's almost be like become like a mantelpiece where I'm like when I look at it and I'm like and I'm like yeah we can do this you know like we can get through these times or it's really
0: and i don't know who said it or who the author is but this this takes me back to my conversation with craig oldham who is creative director at rough trade yes he said it, it was in our conversation craig was talking about activism which i'd like to talk to you about in a moment but um he was talking about that about pessimism being for lightweights and you know how we have to care and we have to try to make a difference it's kind of you know not part of the job because everyone's different but i think that you know we have a powerful skill here with visual communication yeah. so For speaking you. so speaking of um books then I, I you i got a copy of your book the global warming anyone uh oh yeah off festival it's wonderful and a number of your projects could be termed perhaps as activism um would that be fair
1: uh yes yeah
0: yeah what part of you does that come from is that the optimism are you is that kind of a response to injustice what uh i
1: think it's a mix of things but i think a lot of the time when i make it it comes from an impulse (laughs) so but the impulse isn't although the impulse is something in the in an instant moment it comes from like you know something that's been brewing and seeping in me for a while so so for example the fragile uk flag which is Um, you know a piece actually that I did not long after I left my full-time job and it's a weird year because it was 2015 I did a lot of my most sort of um, symbolic pieces that year and I think that that's probably an interesting transition as well from going from um, you know a full-time job to an independent practice and and in that first year doing a lot of personal non-commissioned project alongside commissions but um and so for example to take the example of the UK Fajal flag, um which um for people listening in who haven't seen it is um the Union Jack we visited um on a royal blue paper um with fragile tape um drawing the Union Jack and um and actually I made it before Brexit happened. A lot of people think it's only linked to Brexit, but it's not. Um, but it's really linked to a sense of identity um, of, of a place I call home, uh, which is the UK, and uh, which has shifted in the years. And, and the way I've known it has shifted in the years, in the last years. Um, and when I made it, I was teaching A-level students um, at like a, in an art A-level curriculum class. And in Clapham South and uh, a lot of them were, uh, you know, 16 working after school, sort of saving up to go to university and and they and the university field fees tripled in that year, so they were saving up, I think it was at the time it was 1000 pounds to study for one year in the UK, plus all the surrounding expenses and it went to 3000 pounds Um. And so, from one day to the other, they saw their hope of going to university completely crushed and uh, annihilated. Um, and so, to witness that for me, like and people who were dedicating so much time at such a young age as well to to develop their future and invest in their future, I thought was really, really tricky to you know to witness, and I felt quite cruel as well a uh, thing for them to experience, and. Um, at the same time, uh, there were obviously talks about defunding the NHS, like the slow motion defunding of the NHS, and then um, looming talks of Brexit, which includes loss of freedom of movement, and so on and so forth. And so for me, I was like, I, I made that flag, and with all those things brewing in me, and thinking three foundational, important things Um you know like health education and freedom in general are at stake and are just gonna like whiz through our eyes and disappear and uh with little little fights you know in in some ways when you think about it and and people also were cons. and so i i really felt emotional in that time and i made the flag then so so sometimes you know these artworks like i so i made it in an impulse on that day but it it's sentiments that had been, you know, in my, in, in me for a while. And and the the global warming one happened a little bit differently because this one happened in the context of an exhibition. I was invited to exhibit in an exhibition called Man-Made Disaster, How Patriarchy is Ruining the Planet. <laughs> and um, and uh, it just happens that uh, I came across a tweet by the 45th president of the U.S., um and i thought this is my material and um and then i found out that there were a lot more and i teamed up actually with a journalist uh who's um, uh english and he's called tommy walters and he's now actually based in the us i think he's working for cnn no oh well maybe delete that part but anyway he's working as a a journalist in the us and uh, he basically um wrote the introduction as well which and I thought it was really nice to have someone that is not necessarily in the art world or or the design world write and contextualize the work and then the, the book compiles over 120 tweets by the 45th president on, of the US and again with with that book it was an interesting story because I I printed five copies actually um, and and then it got into the hands of someone at the European Parliament in, in Brussels, a Green MP, and they ordered 20. And I thought, okay, I need to, do, I want to, I want to print it. Like, I want to do a proper edition. And then I started looking at the figures and the numbers and how do I self publish this? And I asked them to pre order. <laughs> so they paid up front, which was amazing because it helped me with the printings. And they pre ordered 20 copies and I sold them directly. So there's no bookshop or, um, you know, in between person taking fifty percent. and um, and then I also felt it's an opportunity to do an expanded edition because in the meantime, the forty fifth president of the us had tweeted some more. <laughs> so I I did a new expanded edition. um and and i I printed as many copies as there were of tweets. So I think it was around one hundred and twenty five or something like that. And I did 125 books. And um, and so it was also a really interesting little journey to see that something like that then had appeal as a tool to politicians. And, and I, I never, ever, you know, planned my work to go in that direction. And I sometimes also steer away from doing work like that because it is, I, I find it quite, like, you know, demanding and and heavy and mm. tricky. And yeah, it's emotional as well in some ways. And okay. so I, I, I would say I come and go into this work and it's not something I, I, I wouldn't say I, I'm doing it systematically. So I'm quite protective of my mental health because I realized I got quite affected as well by the weight of some of those projects. And, you know, things also that happen online where you get like, Trolls of all sorts, right. um, and um, and so I'm I'm really mindful with those things. And I I I have to say that generally after doing quite a political artwork, I will go into a care bear place and do a lot of things.
0: <laughs> care bear fairs, I love that. My my my, my equivalent would be professional wrestling fairs.
1: <laughs> I love that as well, and uh, I'm having these images of like. A care Bear, like we should dress up next time we do a festival, and you're like a wrestler, and I'm a Care Bear. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I and and that really also helps me that Care Bear phase, and I, I call it the Care Bear phase because I've been doing a lot of things. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm still like getting my head around the fact that I'm doing a lot of stuff with hearts and rainbows, <laughs> it's like really unexpected as well because I, I was. I never thought I would go down that road and it's really but I really like it also. And you know, like sometimes when you're like organizing your archive of images and I see all these colorful things and it really makes me happy and so I I feel like I should stick to that care face for a yeah, while. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and it goes but and you owe it you owe it to the sweet shop as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the really good of the sweet shop. <laughs> but you're right
0: but you're right though and again it's the it's the yin and yang thing again and, and but emotional is right and this is something that I've only recently become aware of in in terms of actually naming the different types of creativity but this came up on a recent episode and it's that we practice both intellectual creativity and emotional creativity and you know intellectual might be the external client brief where we we, we are still being creative but we're ticking a lot of boxes we're delivering to a very specific brief Emotional creativity is what we have to say about the world, how we feel and expressing ourselves, which is really important. And I think if you neglect emotional creativity, then you, you, you can burn out quite easily and lose sight of why you wanted to do this in the first place. But as you said, you have to balance it because I'm the same. I've done heavy projects. I've done stuff that's quite angry or very responsive because again, we, you know, we, it's a symptom of that optimism that you mentioned is that we we want to see justice and i think we are quite sensitive people and we want to see the world a better world so when we see things particular, and, th- and i remember that same time that you mentioned it felt horrible because of this succession of things like brexit and like the healthcare and this government just gradually chipping away at things that we perhaps took for granted but then when they're being taken away you suddenly realize how fundamental they are um tough time really tough you know the last, the last decade has been a gradual kind of you know, intensification of that really.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so you do have to balance that with a care bear phase, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the direction of your practice, how much control do you like a want to have over that and B have in terms of where you're going next and how you're paying the bills and how and you know how does it how you don't bite off more than you can chew or or have too little mm-hmm. work
1: another really good question. <laughs> um, so I've obviously been taking a risk in the last um, couple of years because I've been um, taking a little bit less design commissions uh, in order to develop my art practice which is again like we were saying earlier it's like it's like when we're making the books or other things it's like a call and I, I think I've been pushing that call away for a long time. Um, and I think that's what I always destined myself to. And I think my journey in, in design has been really important and is still really important and it's still there, which is why I'm also being a bit more cautious in how I talk about it or how I, even for myself, but I feel like at the moment they're both coexisting um, side by side. I would just say that it's maybe a 50-50 uh, aspect. So it's almost like, taking a general pay cut um, to be able to clear time to make new things, learn new things. So for example, last year I went on a lot of like residencies um, and I did like a wood workshop where I was like doing a collective totem (laughs) with 12 other people. Or I went on a natural dyeing course um, or another one was building a solar oven with a really uh, interesting uh, french designer called matali Casse. um and and those experiences have been amazing but when you're doing those things and sometimes it's two weeks or a week or you really can't do any other work because it's first it's quite physical um and and it's long hours because it's really like quite um intense programs and and then also there's a, a social aspect at the end of the day where you're 12 and you live all in the same place and um, you're working together and then dining together and, and so you don't want to like sort of go away to your room and do computer work and so I've been like quite clear at trying to save those moments really to learn and develop and, and I feel they're really important in terms of developing my art practice. Um, but on the side, I still have to, to design work, which is, you know, my sort of my way of making a living. And I think also it helps me not putting that pressure on the art side at the moment because it gives more freedom with my art practice. Like I don't have to rein it in at the moment in a specific commercial outlet or a gallery or, yeah. you know, like you meet, you meet galleries that would tell you, oh, this work wouldn't would sell better or if you make it this way. And at the moment, I I rely my income is still really based on on the design work. And, um you know, I do sell some screen prints in galleries and some of the artist books, um I really don't make anything on. And and I'm teaching as well. And, um you know, I'm, I'm looking, so I'm doing a lot of like, it's a bit of a juggling act. I'm doing a lot of different things. And one thing that I would like to try to do is do slightly I, I never thought I would say this. Maybe I'll regret. But anyway, anything I say is of today and in this moment. And I might change my mind tomorrow. <laughs> I might not be a care bear tomorrow. <laughs> um, But basically, I, you know, I really would like to have a couple more, like slightly more corporate jobs than the ones I have on at the moment, because I think it would help the balance more mm-hmm. in terms of what I do. So that's, Something I'm I'm looking into also in 2024 is how do you find these kind of jobs? Um, how much time do they take? Is it more clear cut like you spend two months on that job and then you can do two months um, of of the other work? And and the other work is really a gamble because I, I have no idea where it's gonna go. Uh, I have no idea if it's gonna work out. And it's it's definitely I'm definitely taking a risk because I'm showing also less of the commercial work that I'm doing the the graphic design commissions I'm showing less of. And as as these things happen, the less you show, the less commissions you start getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so I'm yeah, it is a gamble and but it's it's something again I really want to try. And I feel so at home in this moment with um what I'm trying on the artistic side. And I feel like you know, each time I go to talk about arts and stuff, I'm like, I have this, like, I'm like, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And it's a real, like, eureka moment. It's really emotional as well. So, I'm, re- you know, it's worth trying. And I think also it's okay if it doesn't work out. You know, it's like...
0: Oh. Of course, you can always take a little backward step. You can always find something mm-hmm. else. And I constantly say this to particularly young designers, that there's nothing wrong with getting a job, get a part-time job, get a full-time job. If that, you know, if that's what you need to do to free mm-hmm. up your emotional creativity and, and cre- build with purity, do it mm-hmm. because it's no kind of failure. And as we said earlier about the kind of earliest experiences, you get so many other experiences that inform your creativity, yeah. you know, uh, which is v- invaluable, um, but I would say again, looking at what you whether you even see it yourself, I don't know because you're very close to it. But the Sarah Boris brand to me is so strong now across all your disciplines, even like the bench, the Love Heart bench. Um, from that, you know, the difference bit in medium between that and let's say your I Love EU posters uh-huh. um are very different. But to me, they're, they're very Sarah Boris, all of it. You've built there's <laughs> eno- there's enough currency and identity within all of your practice and your brand that it works so absolutely go for it would be my advice because you there seems to be a bit of a wave at the moment you know the talks you're giving the the way you're out there it's very inspiring to me and i think that you're on the right track
1: thank you just just giving me hope and optimism (laughs) it's a good way to start the year
0: (laughs) and i never kiss asses either it's you know it's just my, my that's the way i interpret it but it's it's um Yeah, it's great. It's great to see. And it makes me want to do more of it too, which is why I'm pushing forward with this whole creative condition thing because it's where my heart is. And I love my illustration like I always did. But like you said, I need that variation. I need the days where I get a lovely illustration commission. But then off the back of that, it's important for me to go and have these kind of conversations and go out there and do a talk and help people understand creativity. That's become my driving force, not just in my work, but in my life. So, you know, it's um, again, the yin and yang, but to have both things is really good. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to exclusively do either.
1: Yeah, I think they really nurture each other. And that's what I was actually... It's interesting because someone said to me recently, oh, well, so it's it's a project I didn't get. <laughs> I was like in the, the finalists after like uh, going through a quite um, a long application process. And uh, it was something that's really at the crossroads of my art practice and design practice. So I thought it's perfect. <laughs> um, and there was a final interview between um the institutions and me and and what was interesting is so I didn't get it and then they offered me to go uh, for coffee and and you know because they were interested to keep in touch anyway which was amazing and uh, they said something like uh, oh well we were a bit confused between your art and design practice and how and I said and I thought it was really interesting that they were confused because I thought for me there's no confusion like they really nurture one another they sometimes overlap they sometimes flirt with each other. They sometimes collaborate. They sometimes, you know, like I use some of my design skills to make some of the artworks and vice versa. And the, the two cultures are totally interwined. And, and it wasn't a question with, you know, when, when I look at some artists like, uh, you know, like even I was looking at Joseph Albers, who did furniture, who did typography, who did painting. And, and I'm really inspired by those practices. And I'm like, it's not confusing. so so I'm really also like more trying to be more confident about having both sit side by side and and I also say well you have some artists who have a part-time job working for another artist or even some artists who are uh, you know a barista or who um have a completely different outlet or who are working in IT you know and it's like completely fine so why is it being an artist and a designer confusing and I I, I find that interesting that we're in a time where people find it confusing but it's some people find it fine and others are like yeah confused. So.
0: Yeah it's absolutely it's absolutely true. Come to think of it you must you absolutely must uh, listen. It's going back now I'll, I'll send you a link but there's an episode I did with Kerry Lemon I don't know if you know her work but she's so inspiring and her approach is just incredible like the range of projects reminds me of yours actually like the sheer difference in them but her approach to it is amazing she's always gone with the approach of what do I want to do next and who can pay me to do it and <laughs> she, like, she, wanted to, she wanted to go to Japan so she was like right okay what can I do in Japan that's that's and she ended up reaching out to some university commissioner to do a mural in Tokyo and it's like
1: that's amazing every you know, it's so funny.
0: is that but the, each next one I'm like God, it's so different to the last, and and, and she's just a, a a real dynamo. I'll send you a link to the episode because it's oh, cool. but it's funny as well. She's really funny, but it's but it's just a, she's got great energy, and she's doing amazing. Like she's doing one in like the Northern Archipelago or something at the moment. Out in like, it's, oh just, God, it's, God. Just, it's amazing. Like it's it's, it's, it's mind blowing. She's one of a kind, but she's lovely and uh, and her works really great. So yeah, but, I really yeah.
1: want to listen to that because I really want to go to Japan. <laughs> oh, and, and
0: I went once, but... and I'm dying to go back there.
1: You know, one thing also you just said from that is really like this idea of reaching out. And I think that's really like, you know, the idea, like if you want to do something, like tell people, reach out to someone in Japan or reach out to someone in the UK. or mm-hmm. And I and I think a lot of people don't want to do that. And I I do it quite a bit. And I think that really helps, like, you know, like reaching out to one another and just, you know, and even just having conversations and, like find, like now there's like four episodes I'm gonna listen to from uh, from your podcast. It's <laughs> so like,
0: you know. yeah, yeah, you're right though. You have to be proactive, and you do. And and the thing is, if you don't, somebody will. So, yeah. And also, it's like what I've always said to people is don't put people on too big of a pedestal because you know it might be a dream client to you, but there's somebody in that organization that could benefit from your skills and your knowledge of that thing that you love. So yeah. go on, go on, tell them you know chances are you'll make their job a bit easier with your knowledge so that's what happened Mm -hmm. to me with the with the wrestling with wwe it was like you know the 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 art director said to me look i get bombarded by new artists but you're an you're a nerd you watch it every week you know the (laughs) storylines that's really valuable to me you know so i don't have to tell you what's happening every time i give you a commission so he got me on board and i couldn't believe it but but i also could believe it because why would it why would it not come to me because i love the product and you know and i've spent my life watching it so it's kind of like cool all right i'm gonna tell them that i want to do it and it might not happen but it could yeah <laughs> You know. yeah so.
1: i really believe in in reaching out and just going like hey this is yeah. what i do
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah um the, the last thing i want to ask you um because i've kept you long enough and it's been brilliant mm-hmm. so thank you but is about rest do are you good at resting and do you give yourself mental <laughs> downtime
1: <laughs> it's so funny because that's also part of my Twenty twenty four resolution. Yeah, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm trying. So I had like two days where I really like tried not to pick up my phone, call anyone to hang out, <laughs> and just rested and just like taking time with myself, which I think is anyway a rare uh, luxury uh, for lots of people. I guess also like for you with two twins and um, and uh, well, just twins. Um, but uh, I. I am aiming to rest more and to learn to be a bit more still. (laughs) Because I think there's value in that as well. And I'm also in a phase where I really want to learn and read a lot of things. Um, And I found very specific things I want to learn about, which include modular art, because one of the series I've been working on is around that. And I think that is quite a restful thing to do, like reading books and sort of immersing yourself and, and, and another thing that I find quite relaxing is going to the library uh, and borrowing books <laughs> and I think they're like sanctuaries of like peace yeah. and um, so I'm going more to those as well and like really I think also we should just generally try to keep those places open so just going to them symbolically even is <laughs> I think uh, worth it to keep them activated and sort of, and and it's wonderful, you know, because I think, I mean, all of us, we have too many books and not enough space and too many (laughs) archives. And, and so being able to, you know, get some of those books out of the library just to study and sort of rest as well. I, I you know, it's something I'm, I'm really also planning to do this year. So more rest, more, more downtime, but um, Yeah.
0: I think there's growing growing awareness of the need for it and and specifically in creativity. It's critical. If you really want to get those big Eureka ideas, those big moments, then you have to allow the unconscious to do its job, which is as active as the conscious brain. But if the conscious brain is constantly full of TikTok or whatever the thing is that's being bombarded with, it will never deliver those great ideas. So that's why they happen in the shower or on a a jog or whatever it might be. So that's, you know, not just on that basis but just on a pleasure basis that's why you know i'm not getting younger like anybody else and i just want to you know i don't want to spend my life grinding and and constantly checking an email or whatever that's really useful and it's really good sometimes however you have to you have to find time for rest because otherwise you can't be you can't find your optimum creativity you know
1: yeah yeah and i think all my Ideas, like, well, let's say all my best ideas have come from downtime, like just, you know, like walking. And when I walk, I never listen to anything either. So my brain is completely like free. You yeah. just like get all these, or like even a snippet of a conversation or, you know, all these surrounding uh, elements from whether they're visual or or sound or it's, I find really important. So yeah, I think definitely like rest and rest and time away from screens. And, and I think we're... I'm go I'm heading now is I'm spending less and less time in front of a screen. And it's been amazing. Like and I feel, you know, like I, I feel more active just even like physically as a result because you're standing up, you're like standing something, you're painting, you're going around, you're like spray painting a surfboard, you're going to the sea, you're and and I find those moments have brought so much to me in terms of the destination and the the process and and just the well-being and and so i think that's the takeaway as well like the less time in front of the screen and when i'm in front of a screen like being really efficient with what i'm doing on it
0: yes that's it yeah the, the, the last episode i did was with tom hodgkinson who's the editor of the idler magazine and it's a magazine all about a more fulfilling slower paced life you know they could talk about philosophy and all these other things and um and that, yeah, that, he, he talks about diligent working and being hyper-focused, less time, getting the most out of it, and then using the other time to, to be idle or get inspired or learn something, you know? So it's, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Last thing, where can people find your work?
1: Oh, uh, well, they can find it online. <laughs> now I'm like sending people back to the screen. Um, So actually one of my plans is to open an online shop this year. So probably saying it publicly is going to, forced me to do it Mm because i've been saying that for the last four years um and i i I really also believe in being like more in direct contact with people who want to get the work um and having less in between and um so i have uh obviously on my social media you can find me um and you can find me uh i have a very sort of mini website where people can find me um but i guess we can share the links now and the yeah of course Yeah. yeah and uh and and they can find me in person like i you know if anyone wants to meet and just have a chat like definitely reach out because i think it's the best and uh but thank you so much for having me well thank Thank you you so much
0: Ever so much for your time thank you ever so much to sarah boris for taking the time to chat from a busy schedule it's always an honour when people do that because I know what it's like I'm a dad to twins I'm an illustrator I'm a writer I'm a podcaster and I have to make my living in the sum of all those parts which is challenging at times there's a lot of juggling and it's a fast paced life and it doesn't leave you all that much downtime so when someone steps out of their schedule to give me like an hour and a half of spellbinding chat that it really means the world so big thank you to Sarah thank you to everyone for listening today it means a lot please do tell a friend drop us a review and it's subscription on your preferred platform really helps to boost the show the creative condition book is coming out march 28th two and a half months to go looking at launch activities as we speak hopefully london manchester maybe wales uh, off barcelona where i'm interviewing stefan sagmeister live on the friday night april 5th big event very excited about that one. I'm going to be signing some copies of the creative condition as well. So look out for the off market and go and grab yourself a copy. It will be out by then, which I can't believe. I don't even have it in my hands yet. (laughs) We've just finished the proofreading as we speak and it's gone to typesetting and we're about to hit the presses. So it's all going on. Um, I will update all the Kickstarter backers through the Kickstarter. You might have had a couple of messages off me already this year. So there'll be more to come as I keep you involved in the process of all that. Um, Anything else? Yes, I've got Luke Tong and Dan Alcorn, founders of Birmingham Design Festival, coming up on a future episode. We're going to be talking about the need to socialise and have interpersonal relationships to maximise our creativity. And if anyone knows it, it's these two guys. They've run the brilliant BDF since 2018 and done it extremely well. Great guys, also graphic designers, so a lot to talk about there. Thank you so much, guys. Get in touch on all the channels. Drop me an email. Hello at bentallon.com. Massive thank you to the founding supporter of the show. Um, it's amazing, really, to have the long-term support of Illustration X. And I hope you'll go and give them a little look at their portfolios, their range of global illustrators and animators over at illustrationx.com. You can hit them up on Instagram at X. Have a wonderful week. Cheers for listening get in touch with sarah as well she's a joy and as she mentioned now on the show she's up for meeting she's up for being in contact so do it especially if you're a new creative it's so good to to build these relationships and become a part of this ecosystem it really does have a ripple effect that goes down the years thanks guys take care stay creative